Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Cat. Episode number 215, recorded September 12th, 2015. And today we're doing the first three issues of Khan Ruling in Hell. There you go. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a pretty cool series, so there's four issues. And if I may just jump right into it and say, I think it's doing a masterful job of filling in the details between Space Seed, Taw's episode, and Wrath of Khan movie. Right. With a little bit of flashbacks to pre-Space Seed, which does not fall in line with the ongoing miniseries Khan, but not a big surprise there. No. But they do some of that, yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And if, you know, you have to. I mean. Well, yeah, it's a different continuity. So somehow Spot going back in time changed even further back in time somehow. Amazing. <laughs> but anyways, well, you want to just uh, jump right into it to issue number one? Please, let's do it. All right. So issue one came out on October 2010. It was uh, written by Scott and David Tipton, art by Fabio Mantovani, color by Fabio Mantovani, and Chira Cinebro. Letters by Neil Yutaki and edits by Scott Dunbar. So there was two covers for this one. The first one shows Space Seed Era Khan in a red robe holding a spear. And then the second cover is also Space Seed Era Khan, but this time he's in his red jumpsuit. We have Lieutenant Marla McGivers in her red Starfleet miniskirt uniform. And then behind them we see another uh, young genetic Superman also in a red jumpsuit. And then behind them both, or and then we also see the Enterprise high in the sky above them, leaving them on a lush green planet. The issue is entitled The First Six Months. So the story starts off with the Botany Bay and three large cargo craft landing on the lush planet of Seti Alpha 5. Kirk allows the group of genetic supermen to take in their new planet. And then he and the rest of the crew return to the Enterprise, which is in orbit. Alone with his brothers, sisters, and new love interest, Marla McGivers... Khan reflects on the series of events that brought them there. So we get a flashback of Khan and his fellow genetically modified kin taking over Earths at some time in the 90s. Eventually, the inferior people were able to repel these leaders, and Khan and 84 others left Earth on the Botany Bay. Later, they were rescued by Kirk. Khan fell in love with MacGyvers. He tried and failed to take over the Enterprise. And now Kirk has exiled them to the planet in lieu of killing them all. We learn through all this that Kirk has we learn through this that Khan has a lot of respect for Kirk. As they are planning their next steps <clears throat> as they are planning their next steps in conquering this world, 
MacGyver's replaces her Starfleet uniform with the gauze covers that the other Supermen were wearing in the Space Seed episode. This pleases Khan very, very much. As the weeks turn into months, Khan and his people are able to tame the land and the animals to their needs, not without much danger and some losses. The people all rejoice in their leader and chant his name, Khan, Khan, Khan. MacGyvers and Khan share a smooch under the starfield sky when suddenly there is a supernova in the heavens to be continued. My gosh. Spontaneous explosion. Um, yeah. What a drag. I what it is. Gosh, I don't know. I guess we'll find out in the next issue. I hope so. Yes. Leaving us on a cliffhanger like that. Exactly. Okay, so my big thing is Kirk's solution. Okay, so I think it was a pretty good solution to put him down there. But it just reminded me, or just made me think, how many different possible solutions could there have been? I mean, how many options did he have other than killing him? So I, I, I don't really see that many. I mean, was he actually going to, to try to bring Khan and everybody back to stand trial or something? Or let Starfleet figure it out? Yeah, personally, I like Kirk's solution here. In the Abrams verse, we've got it where Starfleet... Frozen, right? Uh, at the end of the movie, yeah. At the end of the movie. So, uh, and you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to unthaw him or something, especially if they've got miracle uh, immortality blood. I mean, come on. Why so, exactly. I like original Kirk's solution. Right. So they're stuck on this planet to live out the rest of their lives, uh, I guess, populating the planet with. Uh, p- perhaps building a, a society. Yeah, of genetically modified super people. Well, okay, good point. So in the short term, good solution, particularly if they die. But in the long run, if they don't die, then it could be a pretty bad solution. Right. If anybody crash lands on the planet or lands on the planet or whatever. Or in the long run, these are very clever people. I think over time, I mean, I'm talking about hundreds of years. Sure. I think they can... I think they definitely can build up manufacturing abilities. Right. Um, I don't know what kind of natural resources City Alpha 5 has, but uh, I think they can figure out some ways to maybe get off on their own, on their own, given enough time. Right. All they got to do is invent the trans tater and, <laughs> and we are in trouble. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, warp drive is, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like Kirk's solution, especially okay. considering how how stupid Starfleet is in Star Trek Two that they didn't remember that this happened <laughs> in the same solar system. They're planning on testing the Genesis device and act all surprised. Well, okay, right. So in that, they were supposed to go to SETI Alpha Six, right? And that's where they were going to test it, right? But oops. When we entered the solar system, we didn't realize one of the planets was missing. <laughs> Silly us. But what doesn't make sense is that it's one of the later planets. So exactly. You start, you start inside. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, that's SETI Alpha 5. But what if you start from the outside? Who so if there's eight. Well, they're coming in from the outside, aren't they? <laughs> no, no. I mean, think about that. Yes, but they always count it. How do you know they count anything? Outwards. Okay, okay. So I'm I'm playing devil's advocate now, but 
it's like you would think that you've got good enough astra whatever abilities to astro navigate or whatever so you know pretty much where planets should be uh but who knows but well, they didn't maybe they went from the outside if they went from the outside in hey okay here's the uh the third one in that's SETI alpha six let's take a look who knows yeah that's a good point oh and supposedly the orbit shifted but i'm sure it still did not shift all the way out to where SETI alpha six was but uh still and also another thing that kind of bugs me well well okay i'm gonna stop talking I have a comment for a future issue. Okay. All right. So in regards to this issue, how much technology was left in the Botany Bay and the cargo containers? Well, they had like uh, 20th century technology. So Um, mainly I want to ask about the sleeping pods. Are they still there? Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a very good question. They never showed them. Right. So you're saying just everybody go to sleep? No, I'm just wondering if they're there. Um, and, and this is the only issue where Scotty tells Kirk and, uh, and Con what what he did to the Botany Bay. So just just yeah, but I don't bookmark that 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 I'm I'm curious if the sleeping pods still work because that would be a solution. Put everybody on ice, awaiting rescue. Right. Well, oh, okay. Well, that's is that what you're saying? Or I mean, why do you care? Unless well, that's yes. Go, going forward, instead of getting to the Star Trek II era the way they do, why didn't they put themselves to sleep and just wait it out until somebody came to rescue them? Rescue right. them. Right. Okay. Well, and that good question. That would not have made things work out right for Wrath of Khan. No. Yeah, because how would you explain why Khan is so young? <laughs> exactly right okay so right okay so but that's a good point i didn't even think about that they should have the pods maybe they don't have enough power to run the pods although they do have a power generator of some kind that scotty left them with um mm-hmm. still hmm. good question glad you brought that up but anyways they don't need the pods right now everything's peachy up until that last panel exactly yeah, except for that incredible explosion, uh, like in the sky that they can actually see. Yeah, I wonder. And, and and quite frankly, okay, planets, at least in our solar system, it's probably the same way out there in other star systems. There's a lot of distance between planets, so you probably wouldn't be seeing any explosions in space unless it was the moon. It's not the moon; it's another planet. So, right. whatever. Yeah, so it'd be like Mars exploding. Exactly. I mean, we might see like an unusually bright dot in the sky, but unless you were looking for it, you wouldn't notice it. Right. Anyway, whatever. Agreed. Ah, whatever. I, I thought it was very interesting how Khan recognized the opportunity Kirk bestowed upon them. So that was very, very interesting. Which opportunity? To tame the world? Well, yeah. To, rather than being in prison or worse... Uh, in civilization, to be able to be deposited upon this lush world that had resources and opportunities for a new civilization. I thought that was very good how Khan recognized that opportunity and was making lemonade out of what some might say are lemons. Right. And he was very appreciative of Kirk's decision. Yes, he was. 
he was very yeah. respectful of Kirk, period. Yes, he thinks very, very highly of Kirk. Exactly. Exactly, so which is, in, what do you which think is important. Part? Do you think that that's in character? Um, I, I, I think so. Khan has almost never been beaten in his life. So, especially probably mano y mano. So the fact that Kirk was able to get that handy-dandy little uh, piece of metal, which was probably painted wood, and do a wampin on Khan, I think that garnered him some respect and the, and the idea of uh, coming up with a solution. Right. Yeah. I think it's a great solution. Yeah. So in reading this and reading how much he respects Kirk, it, it made the scenes in Star Trek II all the more powerful when he's how much he hates Kirk in Star Trek II. Yes, yes. Which I really enjoyed. I, I, oh, I, I enjoyed that part of the, these, this miniseries probably more than anything else. Just Oh, just uh, That it made Star Trek II even that more powerful when he's talking about how much he hates Kirk. Because right. at this point, he loves Kirk. Kirk's, Kirk beat him. He's a great warrior, and he was nice enough to drop us off on this planet. Exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. So, I agree. So there's an interesting journey we're seeing here, where Khan is going to go from that kind of guy to the kind of crazy loony kind of Kirk hater that we see in the movie. So, I like that journey he is on. Definitely. Yes. So you've seen Space Seed a lot more than I have, I'm sure. A lot. Yeah, so I thought the two pages worth of the recap was really, I knew it had to be done. But I was kind of bored with it. Two pages? It was like four pages. No. Well, no, 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 no. No, if you... It started in the second... Okay. Correct. I, I was talking PDF. So it was really more like... No, I think... It, yeah, it was like four four pages. Yeah, four pages. But I was counting PDF, sorry. I yeah, shouldn't no, have been counting it, PDF. Yeah, it was, it was a long, unnecessary... I, I would have rather had more of their rise and fall on Earth than... Oh. Just a, a recap of uh, of the of the episode, yeah, right, yeah. But they got to do that. Come on. I guess there's enough people that hadn't seen Space Seed or or probably knew it well enough, or maybe they saw the movie but they never saw the TV show, like you, Youngin. I've seen the show lots of times. Well, I well, okay, but there's some people that are you know they they watch the show or the movie. They're in the movie. They don't want to watch some old TV show, right. Which I think you have stated in the past, at least at yes. points in your life, you were definitely in that camp. In my misguided youth, yes, Ken. That was in your misguided youth. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, so, but anyways, you've seen the show a lot more than I have. I don't remember the women wearing. I know that they wore a, a, a gauzy looking outfit, but it wasn't skin tight like this, was it? Wasn't it okay. more of like? Are we talking MacGyver's now? Or what, what do we MacGyver's talking? and all the other superwomen that come out of... Okay. Okay, that is exactly what I... Okay, so good. I, I want to talk about that topic. When I was first reading the comic, I was like, what the heck's with MacGyver's? So is, is that what they wear underneath the uniform, really, when you get underneath all of it? And it's like, I don't think so. And then as I've read through this, uh, these three issues, I haven't, got, I haven't read the fourth one yet. As I'm reading it and seeing that other women are like that, it's like, you know what... I bet what they're trying to say is they're naked. No. Yes. That is my theory. So, basically, with these supermen or whatever, they're 
they're like, I don't know why, but they keep their women naked. No, because the women in the movie did have weird I, uniforms. I'm or, just saying. Not the movie. I'm the just uniform. saying. This is a. I'm saying that for the comic book, they made a decision, and the decision was the women are naked. But we can't actually draw them that way. So they got this BS little um, pattern, which is obviously not real, uh, that kind of covers up the nakedness. But my theory says they're supposed to be naked. Uh, there, I'm putting the stake in the ground. <laughs> I'm not agreeing with you. I think it's supposed to be what they wore in the show. But oh, that what isn't. They, that isn't what, what they, they wore in the show. show was more of like a a bikini with like a a lacy type jumpsuit type thing where all the men were wearing the red suits. Yeah. That, I don't know. But I, I could be wrong, but I, I, my theory is they're supposed to be naked. They keep their women naked. <laughs> I don't think they're naked, but they're definitely not wearing the, uh, the gauzy thing or the bikini looking thing from the old show. Yeah. And I think it's because the old show couldn't do that. But in a comic book, you can basically draw a woman so she looks naked, but have this pattern kind of thing. I mean, look at how skin tight that is. Right. And I mean, look at those great like little MacGyver buns. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I think somehow it's like, um, it's playing off that theme where, you know, MacGyver's was just entranced with the... Uh, this real man, this ruler of continents and of women, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, but and the I other think, women are wearing it too, and they were oh. just as powerful as he was. Or the other men. Well, okay, so you're talking about the J.J. Abrams thing? No, or not, not about, that. in here, you can see them, especially in the flashback scene when they're all waking up out of the sleeping pods. You can see yeah, I, women yeah. there, and they're wearing the same uniform she wears later. Well, I think the uniform is the same because they're naked. <laughs> they're not naked. <laughs> I think they are. They just can't draw them that way. I mean, look at that. Look, I'm looking through it, and it's like, come on. I mean, that is the thinnest material ever, and no, that clings it, to every curve. It leaves nothing to the imagination. Exactly. Okay, so maybe nipples. Other than that, okay, well, I'm not going to go down the list. But I say they can't draw them as naked, but they're supposed to, supposed to make you think they're naked. That's what I say. But I could rock. I could okay. be wrong. Well, why don't any of the guys wear something like that then? Because they get weird in the show. The women wore uh, the weird gauzy thing, but well, it wasn't uh, this clingy. Uh, okay. You could be right, but... And it looked like they had, like, a bikini underneath it. Yeah. Where here, they do not. It's because they're naked. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a weird outfit anyway. Either way it is, it's weird. It's weird. I mean, you see, like, you know the bones that are in the front clavicle? I don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, that, That go horizontal. Like right. right where your neck starts and stuff. I mean, you could see every detail of MacGyver's clavicle, and it's like, I, I, I just don't think that's that's fabric. <laughs> mm, clavicle. 
<laughs> if there's one thing I like on a good-looking woman is a clavicle. Exactly. Okay, so... Right. I was actually going to ask you whether you had seen anything, this technique used in other comics or not. But you obviously have not. This is not what you think it is. And you could be quite right. Now, usually when someone's supposed to be naked and they don't want to show it, they just... Don't show the bits. Make it, make it a sh- make shadows. Shadows, and then maybe just show shoulders up or, you know, some yeah. other tight, but, tight and close shot. But quite often it would be like she would be in a shadow and then... Yeah. Okay. On would be not. Cool. Anyways, moving on. Exactly. Uh, the planet is kind of nasty. They have plants that kill people and large bison-looking nah. lizard things. Right. Yeah, but he he wants a challenging world, so I think I think they got just the right thing if just so long as it stays that way. Right. No, they're they're super happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got waterfalls. They got game they can hunt. Um, yeah. Right. An ideal world. Let's just hope nothing changes in the next issue. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> okay. So, uh, any other comments? I- I'm done with comments on this one. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'll do issue number two, titled Holding Out Hope. Published date, November 2010. I believe everybody is the same people, so I'm not going to repeat. The primary cover is by Michael Stribling, and it features Khan sitting in a crash couch on board the Botany Bay. His red jumpsuit is torn in several places, and his hair is disheveled. He has a desperate and angry look on his face. Things are apparently not going well for Alexander the Great. The second cover is a photo cover showing Khan and Kirk in dress clothes from the Taws episode, Space Seed. The issue opens with Khan proclaiming that SETI Alpha 6 is no more. By using a large binocular-like device, likely made up from repurposed parts from the Botany Bay, Khan states that an expanding field of debris is where SETI Alpha 6 should be. Khan assures the few people with him that there is nothing to fear. The planetary explosion happened out there, so far away, and a similar explosion is unlikely to happen in their new home. Khan tells Jokum to be strong. Did I pronounce that right? Jokum? Sounds good. Joachim? Jokum? Joachim? I don't know. Jokum. Jokum says he will, and walks away reassured by his leader. That has always been right in the past. Marla knows Khan all so well at this point. When they are alone, she confronts him about his uncertainty. The potential effects of the planetary debris is troubling. What about the changing gravitational fields in this part of the SETI Alpha system? Khan says if things go bad, he is sure Kirk will be monitoring their progress and will come. Kirk will come. Tomas is hiding nearby and hears every word they say. Six months later, holding out hope. Joaquim and Tomas are walking in the wilderness. Tomas is trying to get Joaquim to realize how bad the climate has become, to win Joaquim over to his side. Two pieces of SETI Alpha 6 debris strike the ground in the distance. The falling debris is a common occurrence, and it is wreaking havoc with the planet's weather. Huge amounts of suspended dust hang in the air. 
The settlement has not been struck, but the world is quickly becoming uninhabitable. Later, Khan, in the Botany Bay control room with Joachim, is trying to find a way to rig up a transmitter. They do not have the equipment to do it. They conjecture Kirk did not leave any because he did not want them to be able to lure ships to their world and give them a way of escape. Khan has faith that Kirk will help them given time. Joachim says not everyone is content to pin their hopes on the Enterprise's unlikely return. Tomas confronts Khan, stating that they can't just sit waiting for Kirk. Khan asks him what he wants them to do. Tomas replies any action is preferable to nothing. Khan gets pissed. He again asks for constructive suggestions. He explains how the Botany Bay cannot break orbit, and even if it could, with no warp drive, they would have nowhere to go. If they could get their 20th century radio working, the pitifully slow waves would not get far enough before they all perished. There is no course of action other than waiting for rescue. Tomas raises his voice to Khan and says they cannot just put their faith in Kirk. Khan swats Tomas across the room like a fly. Khan tells them all they will prepare for worsening conditions and wait for rescue. That is all they can do. Three months later... The river is dry, but they get just enough water for survival from the wells. Crops have failed. Hunting parties come back with little to nothing. They try to prepare for decreasing night temperatures, but they are running out of animal pelts and fabric from the Botany Bay. Worse, six of their people have succumbed to what first appeared to be a mental instability, but has since progressed into physical paralysis. Tomas and a few other of their number talk about how things are getting worse and worse. Tomas asks if Khan will not make the tough decisions required, that it may fall to one of them to do it. He speaks of mutiny to the other two. They do not want to hear it at first, but they do not totally reject the idea. Joachim reports to Khan that construction of a subspace radio is futile, with the materials they have and limited knowledge of the technology. Khan does not want to hear the word futile. He apologizes to Joaquim and Marlena for his outbursts and asks to be alone. On his own, the proud Superman Khan, ruler of nations, clasps his hands as if to pray and wonders why Kirk still does not come. To be continued. I don't think he's praying. I think it's that weird yoga thing he did in the show. Yeah, yeah. But it... It looks like praying. Sure. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it's as if to pray. Anyway. So that's Amas. What a pussy. I'm Ooh. sorry. I mean, come on. He keeps on just whining and whining. Okay, you want to do something other than wait. Well, what is it? What do you want to do? Yeah, no, but he I, really, does... I love that Khan asked him that. Yeah, of course. He's being reasonable. Khan knows there is another option. Well, I mean, they try to do something with a radio, but... And they try several times, but... Anyway. No, it was great. Yeah. And every time Khan said, Kirk will come, I could hear mm. that uh, accent that you did during the synopsis, and it was awesome. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So what about that? He's got an awful lot of faith in Kirk. He did. He does, and I never thought that he would, but no. I, I like it. It makes sense. Well, 
I mean, quite frankly, it's it's their only option. I mean, <laughs> if they don't get rescue from somewhere, and if things continue to go from bad to worse, which it will, they have no other chance of survival. Yes. So, Not looking good. So is it that he really, truly has that much faith in Kirk? Or is it because that's the only possibility of, uh, of survival for them? Yeah, I mean, those are the two options, right? So uh, he either is uh, just hoping that it happens or right. he really believes that, uh, that Kirk's going to make it. I-, I personally think that at this point he probably does think that Kirk's going to make it because he thinks Kirk's honorable guy, beat him in hand-to-hand combat, so he's a great guy. And uh, I-, I like to think that at-, at this point he does have faith that Kirk's going to show up. And it's I- not just blind faith. I, I tend to think so too. The only thing is, I'm because now I'm, I'm asking the other question. Why hasn't Kirk or Starfleet checked up on him? Uh, short answer: um, the uh, great next uh, original series reboot switch or reset switch. So at the end of every episode, <laughs> we put that switch and we never mention it again. <laughs> uh, you're pretty much right. <laughs> Okay, but but really, I mean, I mean, the idea that they would be monitoring them—that makes a lot of sense. Of course, they're supermen. They they took over the Earth at one point, so exactly, yes, you would want to check up on them. Yeah. Now, of course, Kirk did put all this in his log entry, right? I mean, he did report what happened. You would hope so. Well, yeah, unless he thought that maybe people would come after Khan or something if they knew that he was there. That would just um, be too dangerous. So he fudged the logs? That's what you're thinking? Well, I'm exploring possibilities. I don't think he did that. But it's like, so did maybe Kirk want him to die? Did maybe Starfleet want them to die? Uh, did they just bury it and just like, oh, I got a lot of other problems, a lot of Klingon issues. Uh, so they just, you know, really, truly ignored him? Um well, your your idea of Kirk not putting it in his logs does hold some some value because that would it that's the only explanation I can come up with why everyone is so surprised that he's still on SETI Alpha Five when Star Trek Two starts. I mean, yeah, why would Carol Marcus choose a planet so close to the Superman to test her Genesis device? I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense if they all knew that that this potential time bomb is sitting on this planet, yeah. one, one planet over. Yeah, one planet over. I agree. Yeah, and isn't it interesting in Wrath of Khan how long it takes Chekhov to remember SETI Alpha 6, SETI Alpha 5, you know, whatever. It's like... Well, that's because he wasn't you guys really one. Okay, but we all know retconning. He was, he just wasn't on the bridge. Right. So who knows? Yeah, no, I don't know. Okay, but it it makes it may, that that's the only explanation I can think of that uh, why nobody knew that they were there in, in Star Trek Two. Right, right. But why would he do that? That's a kind of a jerk thing to do. <laughs> well, maybe he thought he was doing kind of a favor, or because he maybe thought that they were more than capable of taking care of themselves. If I was Starfleet and I knew about it, I'd be sending a ship by every once in a while. I mean, maybe yes. not, maybe not annually, 
but you know, every once in a while. But or at least have like a little probe and satellite just monitoring them. Now that would be a good idea. I mean, think about how much they could learn about history if somebody from two hundred years came into our our time, and then you stick them somewhere where you could see the, how they would adapt to the universe as it is now. That would be a great learning tool. Mm-hmm. Huh? Instead, you're just going to ignore them. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of other things to be worried about. But still, yeah, I, I think they should be monitoring. So I like the idea of putting a, a probe in orbit. Right. Just send off a message every once in a while. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Exactly. Oh, boy. City Alpha 6 just flew up. <laughs> you guys may want to come out here. Maybe you can see us. <laughs> so near the end of the book where uh, Tomas is talking about uh, you know, Khan has to be making the tough calls and stuff. I mean, so what is he saying? Is he suggesting cannibalism? I mean, what what's the tough calls? Well, he doesn't know. He just thinks that someone should be doing it. <laughs> well, I... Yeah, I was wondering about that. I mean, you hate to think of cannibalism as an option, but... Uh, I mean, especially when, you know, some of their... Some of the folks don't make it. Would yeah, you, yeah. Would you consider it? Well, it's the old uh, Donner Pass syndrome uh, from our own history. Um, I would like to think not, but oh, wasn't there uh, some incident where a plane crashed or something too, like in the snowy area? Uh, yeah, the Andes. I think it was a Brazilians. Soccer team, team or rugby team or yeah, yeah, something like that. Right, 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 right. Maybe they weren't Brazilian. I, I don't know. It's Latin America somewhere. South yeah. America, Central America. Yee. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just what, what else? I can't think of anything else he might be suggesting. But. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I really like how, at this point, they don't know how those people became paralyzed. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I know that's good. Even though we know, oh, we know. But it, when they when they first went into the room where they were looking at the people uh, that were sick and stuff, it didn't immediately click to me. Oh, that that's what it was. That's what it was exactly. I was like, oh, what the hell is this? I was like, okay, whatever. Um, it didn't quite click to me yet. Right. So, uh, remind me uh, in Star Trek Two, they get the worm right. So then they start being really susceptible to suggestions and orders. I don't remember them ever becoming uh, paralyzed. I mean, did we just no, not I, get that far? I think we just didn't get that far. Because what's-his-name felt so guilty that he that killed captain. himself. That captain, right. Yeah. And then check off for whatever reason it left <laughs> Got finished eating. There's no more brain here. Why, why and you'll notice he was remind, never the brightest guy from then on. <laughs> remind me, why did it come out? Oh, did it was, I don't know. It was like it was handy. It was, good. it was good. Okay. Rather than doing brain surgery, it'd be a good time for him to come out now. And, and at least when those same bugs were used in the reboot, Captain Pike was messed up. I mean, he was messed up for a while and in the wheelchair and everything. I like that. Right. Well, he was – and it went through his mouth, right? So the, were well, they yeah, the same it, bugs? I think they were the same bugs. I mean, they looked the same, didn't they? They look similar, and they definitely yeah. had similar characteristics. And that was interesting that they used that particular thing from Star Trek lore. Right. In that movie. 
Right. Well, obviously, J.J. really loves Star Trek too, so he put that in the first one, and then he remade the second one. <laughs> it was him or his writing staff. Anyway. So, anyway, so uh, I, I think we just never got to the point where we saw the paralysis bit. Right. Although, you know, I, we never heard of that before, so that's completely, I think, an invention of the writers here. Right. So, in Star Trek Two, how long did Chekhov and the captain have the bug in them? Uh, well... It was a good long time. It, right? was, it seemed like a while. Right. Yeah, but, mean, but, but they're talking about... People are sick maybe for days before right. they went paralyzed. Yes. And they, and they, they you know. And that, that's what I thought. I, I thought it was a several <clears throat> days thing. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think it jives enough. Right. Um, yeah, here, here it does. I agree. Yeah. I just put down another note um, on this while I was reading this one. So these women are walking around naked, right? <laughs> no, they're wearing gauze clothes. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Very supportive gauze clothes. <laughs> yes, well, yes. You, well, you know how fashion was in the nineties. Uh, not gauze this? clothes. You don't remember this? No, I don't, and I don't remember the launch in nineteen ninety three of the uh, <laughs> the botany of the Botany Bay or nothing. And that was a while ago. I should remember by now, but. Right. Uh, I really don't have anything else on this one aside That's from I well, I'll save that one for the next issue. Well, what do you think about the art in general? I like it. I, I think they they look like the characters from the, the show. Yeah, I think it's pretty good art. Uh, and I think some of the artistic decisions are quite interesting. Uh, uh, like what the gauze clothes? The the naked gauze clothes, yes. The naked gauze clothes. Yeah. And um, the, what is his name? Joachim, Jokum, whatever his name is. Uh, he's the one from Star Trek Two, right? The one that's kind of his right-hand man. That, yep. That dies. That's in, so much younger than him for some reason. Um, why is he so young in Star Trek Two? Because this guy here looks like he's the same age as he is in Part Two. Yet Khan looks much older. Um, well, in this book, I think Joaquin seems like a, a younger guy, like at least 20 years younger than Khan, to me. I mean, Khan looks like he, like he was in his 40s, late 30s, whatever. Um, right. and this guy looks like he's maybe in early 20s or something. And then, too, in Wrath of Khan, I mean, you know, Khan was like, what, 50s, 60s, and Joaquin looked like he might have been in 40s. I don't no, know. He looked like he was in the 20s. 20s? He, he looked still that young? Really young? It always bothered me in Star Trek, too, that Kurt Khan looked old and all the other people looked young. Oh! <laughs> Yet in uh, Space they were yeah. all about the same age. Yeah, good point. Good point. They should have had more. Um, they should have either put more black dye into Ricardo Montalban's hair or maybe uh, gotten some slightly older actors. Right. Yeah. But with that white hair, he looks he looks awesome in uh, Wrath of Khan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looks good. Okay. All right. Third issue? Else? I have nothing else. All right. So issue number three came out 
December of 2010. No title, so it's just Con Ruling in Hell Part 3. All the staff is the same. All the credits are the same, with the exception of color. Chira Sinembaro is no longer on there, so colors and art is done by Fabio Mantovani. So again, there's two covers. The first one is the art cover, which shows Khan with a little gray in his hair, holding up one of the sandworms with his gloved left hand. And then cover B is a photo cover, and it shows Khan from Space Seed. So it's like a close-up of his face. So the story starts with Khan now sporting the chest-exposing uniform that we all saw in Star Trek II. And he's ordering his men to link up the cargo containers to create a unified shelter. Even welding the seams, they know that the horrible sandstorms from outside will eventually erode through the shelter. Several of the supermen and women are disillusioned by their leader. They are planning a mutiny inside of a secret cavern that shields them from the elements and is unknown to Khan and his loyal supporters. They plan to kill Khan but know that Khan will never turn his back on any of them. Tomas, the leader of the rebellion, plans to use MacGyvers in some way, stating that she is not one of them. Later, in the cargo container shelter, Joachim informs Khan of what has infected so many of their people. He found parasitic sandworms in their brains. He also demonstrates how susceptible to suggestion anyone who has the worm inside of them is. Later, MacGyvers is attacked while doing the laundry, and then taken to the secret cave base of the rebels. Tied up, Tomas eventually puts the worm in her ear. Her screams are washed away by the fierce winds outside. Later, Khan and Joachim search for the source of the tiny worms. They eventually find the larger mama worm, and Khan snatches it out of the air with his gloved hand. Once they return to the cargo containers, they are inspecting the creature with its hatchlings within its scales when the brainwashed MacGyvers tries to kill Khan with a knife. Khan is able to overpower her and wrestle the knife away. Very quickly, within several hours, MacGyvers dies due to the worm eating into her brain. Grief-stricken, Khan vows revenge on the one who did this. He also finds out that the generator was stolen while Khan was attending to his dying wife. Knowing that it was Tomas and his followers, Khan says it's time for war. Bum bum bum. Ah, it is war then. Oh boy, you don't want to get Khan angry, boy. Oh ho I wouldn't want to be you, Tomas. No? No. He's going he's gonna to have a comeuppance in the next issue, I bet. I won't spoil it for you, but maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what's the deal with the Michael Jackson glove thing? One glove thing. Uh, well, right here he has two, so late, later at one point he loses one. Oh, is that it? That's, that's the secret. Oh, boy. Yeah, so would you think they would show like why his uh, hand was injured or something? Uh, I don't know. I thought it was just some style thing. I remember uh, during the commentary on Star Trek Two on the DVD, I think they mention it. Somebody said Ricardo Montalban asked why he has only one glove, 
and uh, someone just said, because it looks cool or something like that. <laughs> you know, just some offhand uh, explanation. Right. Ha! Well, if that's what it, it is, that's what it is. And it did. That metal glove looked pretty cool. Because I was, I was thinking it was almost like a uh, Luke Skywalker kind of thing or something. You got you got one uh, fake hand there, Connie. Well, and during Star Trek Two, Luke didn't have a fake hand yet. Uh, okay. Right. I mean, what, when, what does when that have to do with Star, when did Star Trek Two come out? Um, nineteen eighty-four. I don't know. It was it was it was in the eighties. Yeah, I was thinking it was yeah. earlier. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting it was being copied from Star Wars. Oh, oh, oh. No, it just it just was kind of a uh, Luke Skywalker in the uh, third movie kind of vibe. Right. Return of the Jedi. Gotcha. Uh, or Michael Jackson, either one. <laughs> All right. Michael Jackson. It all comes back to him, doesn't it? No matter what. I don't know. So it was just a simple assassination that they went ahead and took MacGyver over for, huh? Yep. Hmm. What do you think it would be? I don't know, but I figured she was going to be able to figure out how to get out of uh, some means of escape with bubble gum and a paperclip. <laughs> I think it's a different MacGyver. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I did not remember her name being pronounced MacGyver, so... For whatever Mar- reason, I was thinking it was McGivers. Marla McGiver. Yeah. Well, I, I remember in my mind, uh, Ricardo Montalban saying the character's name. Right. So I wonder why she didn't come back for part two. Do you know? Uh, what do you mean, Rathacon? Yeah, I mean, did they just really not write her into the story? Or Well, if she died, that gives Khan even more motivation to hate Kirk. And they probably didn't want anybody else older than um, 20 yeah. years old in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was going to be a guy thing. So this was going to be high-octane adventure movie, mano y mano, you know, no chick stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. I mean, well, yeah. So we got a little Carol Marcus action going on. But other than that, it was pretty much a, a guy flick. You know, lots of action, lots of space battles. There you go. Agreed. Long time friends dying. Very emotional. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine what they did. And uh, and, and you really want to give Khan as much motivation as you can to uh, just want to go out there and be kooky. And he's got to be nuts by the end, you know, to set off the Genesis device and everything. Right. And he was pretty Luno at the end. So he was pretty uh, Luno at the beginning, too. I agree. So you want to make sure that he has motivation for being nuts. So there you go. It worked. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the writing on Star Trek Two was really good. Yeah, me too. And I thought this was a, a good explanation as to what happened to her. Um, my biggest beef is that she dies within hours where... Right. And, and like you were saying in the last issue... The Superman and women seem to be taking days and days, and you know, uh, Chekhov and the Captain of Star Trek Two, who are just normal humans, right. take days and days. So I don't understand why this woman, you know, dies within hours. Yeah, 
Was it something to do with her hitting her head on the the ground when she went down? I don't know. Other than that, I have no explanation for it. Yeah, at first I was trying to justify it by saying, well, she's not a super person, but either was anybody else. Uh, Kirk and, I mean, Chekhov. Oh, Chekhov, right, right. Gotcha. Ah, he's wearing the glove. He's only wearing one glove here, too. When he started wearing gloves, I only noticed there being one, but... Well, when he's out on the when he's catching the sandworm, he has two. Does he? Okay. Maybe he doesn't. Huh? I thought he did. Never mind. Um, he only has one. Maybe that's all they made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't really tell in the desert. They don't show his other hand. Joaquin doesn't even have a glove at all. Yeah, because yeah. he's a real man. Yeah, yeah. I really like how they presented the uh, alien insect with the pincers. Mm-hmm. I think it all just fits so well. And I like how they were showing how they were taking the little young'uns out from under the scales and everything. All perfect. And I think that whole alien insect thing, and even with pulling the young out from underneath there, that they did in Wrath of Khan, I right. thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I wondered why they did it here, but again, I think... Same thing might might apply that the reason why they had to do the Space Seed recap is that there might have been somebody reading this that hadn't watched the movie. Right. And so they had to explain that these little guys are underneath the scales kind of thing. Right. But and I did like how they made the, the mama one, you know, a, a threat. You know, she was jumping out, out of the hole. She was going ah, That's right. Face hugger type thing. Exactly. Good thing Whereas Khan in has the movie, that super it just speed. seemed like she was just kind of burrowing and, and not a big threat herself. Right. Well, I guess, no, she tried to bite, right? And they she bit the, the arr, arr. tool. Yeah, the, uh, the tweezers or whatever. All right. So the artwork, while they're out in the, uh, the you know, Mad Maxian mm-hmm. desert storm, mm-hmm. really nice. I, I love that. Uh, it looks good. Yeah. And then especially uniforms and stuff. Right. And there's that one, I'm sure probably that's what, one of the ones you're, you're referring to, but there's one particular um, pretty big panel, half a page, which is uh, them walking. The wind is just blowing their clothes into almost uh, shreds. And then there's a big old shaft of light. So I assume that must have been the sun, the right. SETI Alpha sun coming through the uh, huge amount of dust. But it, it looks like a big old shaft of light. And I, it, that's really nice. Right. It looks almost like a movie poster. Like if you saw that, mm-hmm. you know, advertising a Mad Max movie or right. some other type of uh, post-apocalyptic movie, you'd be like, that looks pretty good. Yeah. Arr. Yeah, good artwork. Yeah, good, good job, uh, Fabio. Fabio. Obviously not the same Fabio, but uh, good work. <laughs> so I thought it was odd that they captured MacGyver's while she's doing the laundry. I mean, I'm assuming that's what she's doing. It looks like she's just <laughs> a big load of laundry. Was <laughs> that it? I don't know. She's carrying a bunch of cloth somethings. Maybe she is because they keep her naked, so it's like she's doing menial work. She's wearing the big leather boots, but she's wearing the gauzy outfit. All the men get to wear the cloaks and stuff, and she's exactly. wearing the gauzy things, yeah. even out in the elements. Yeah. 
Don't be such a, a whiner. Standard. Don't be such a whiner. So I'm looking forward to seeing It Is War then. I'm looking forward to seeing the war issue. Yeah, last night I went ahead and, and finished it off just to say. Oh, see did you? Did you? You cheated. I see. <laughs> I did. I cheated. Well, I'm kind of curious myself. I just have to take the time. Right. But we'll. So, oh, go ahead. We'll find out in the next issue or the next right. uh, episode. But before we do that, uh, one question I've been wanting to ask you. Yes. Um, any surprises in these three issues? I mean, in your mind, you must have already filled in the gap between Space Seed and Star Trek II like, like everybody else did. Um, in these issues, in this story, anything jumping out at you as, you know, something that you hadn't have already thought of or a surprise? No. Now, I mean, this story is all by the numbers, in my opinion. I mean, you you knew they went, they were set down on SETI Alpha Five, um, Kirk and Company, you know, set them up and took off. That all was by the numbers. Uh, you know, there was a time when uh, they were trying to make it, and you know, SETI Alpha Six blew up for whatever reason, um, and you know, MacGyver. Marla MacGyver was going to die, uh, and you knew that they're going to find those that pincer insect. Everything is by the book. Everything's by the numbers. I, I really don't have any surprises. You? The only one that to me was a surprise and I really enjoyed was um, the outfit. No, I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, the fact that Khan had that faith that Kirk was going to come back. Ah, and that's that a good really point. drove home his hatred to me. That's a good in point. In addition to Marla dying, but but the fact that, you know, he hates him so much because he was misled or he put his faith in Kirk to do yes, the right thing right. and he didn't do it. And the faith was uh, misplaced. Yeah, big time. You ain't kidding. Because hit the reset button and we weren't ever supposed to see Khan again. <laughs> yes. So, but but aside from that, I agree with you. It, it nothing nothing all that surprising. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe the rebellion or the the infighting, but uh well, it, it's not that interesting of a story that part. Yeah, and and Tomas, you got to have a Loki in there to spice things up, right? So, I just see him as the um I mean, he was in there to, you know, spice things up. I mean, it'd right. be boring if they all got along together. And Yes, Khan, whatever you say, Khan. Yep. Yeah, so. like I said, I understand why he's there, but to me that story, that storyline is not that interesting. To me, yeah. I'm more interested in just telling the story on how they get there, I guess. I guess I didn't really want a surprise, but, you know, you kind of think that they were going to throw a curveball at you at some point, but they really don't ever do it. Oh, okay. And you've seen the the fourth, or you've read the fourth issue, so you know. Okay. Well, even from this point, they haven't done it yet. Right. Well, yes, definitely up until this point, I completely agree. Three well, you know, like through. like the Con miniseries, uh, you know, the IDW. Um, In the reboot JJ universe, Abel, right? I mean, that one did throw quite a few little curveballs at you. I mean, there was no way you could have known that, uh, you know, between Space Seed. And the J.J. Abrams Part 2 uh, uh, movie, you know, that Khan got picked up by Marcus and that he was brainwashed and he was this super, you know, this super assassin type character. I mean, all that was 100% unique and, and out of nowhere, right? 
but you never got well, that kind of surprise in this one. Yeah. Uh, true. Right. Well, we didn't have bookends, did we? I mean, we just knew where it ended. We knew where Khan ended up. We didn't have a a Taz episode. We didn't have a a space seed. You're right. So we didn't know the origin. True. They talked a little bit about it in the movie, of course. You know, there was that heartfelt scene in the brig (laughs) where we got a little Cumberback tear where he did some explaining about what was going on. At least you assumed it was true. And definitely the comic explained that. And I'm sure they worked out the backstory. I mean, when they weren't able to get Benedict del Toro or whoever they were trying to get to play Khan, when they couldn't get him and they ended up with Cumberbatch, you know they were like, okay, we got to explain this. What do, what do we want to say? What do we want to say? Because supposedly they really were going for Benedicio del Toro. Yeah, or, he would have been good. I think it would have been great. But, I mean, but Cumby did a great job. It's just... Just not, not Ricardo. No. And it's funny because if they would have had Del Toro in that role, it was like they couldn't have lied their way out of it. I mean, of course, yes, okay, fine, it's Khan, it's Khan, it's Khan, okay, fine. But because they had Cumby, they could play around with things a bit. True, the whole, he's not Khan, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. Until you find out, I am Khan. Right. But, but. Just just to back up what I'm trying to trying to say and maybe not doing a very good job explaining it, but we've also had the Nero miniseries, which explained, yep. you know, from the time that he showed up in New Universe to right. the events of the Kirk's part of the 2009 movie. Right. I mean, they threw tons of curveballs at you. The, you know, the whole Borg thing, the, uh, you know, V'ger. Who would have thought that, oh, that yeah, all that could was... have happened during that time frame, you know, so. The V'ger thing was like, What? Right, but you knew that. But it still got you to the same place where Nero shows up to capture Spock. I mean, but they just threw all these crazy stuff at you. Where here, like you said, it's by the numbers. We know that they find the bugs, kills everybody. Kirk's going to show up, you know, or Chekhov will show up later. Right. So, anyways, yeah, it's still good. I'm enjoying everything. It's just I'm not. I'm not not a lot of surprises. I'm just saying. I thought that they would throw some more little surprises at us. Sure. Cool. Okay. That's, That's all it. I have to say about this one. All right. Well, next week we will finish it off, uh, finish off the miniseries with issue number four. And uh, we're going to do one issue of the uh, John Byrne Photoshop novels. I, I don't know. <laughs> Photoshop <laughs> novels. Yeah, I like that. I don't that. know what else to call them. But, uh, That's funny. We're going to do the first one, which is entitled Star Trek Strange New World. So it's. It's not even part of the New Voyages, because um, later they they actually make it a series. So this uh, New right. Visions. So this so, is, this yeah. is the first one, and it's kind so one off. Yeah. So Strange New Worlds, that was like Burn just playing around with it and seeing if he could do it. Right. And then comes the series. Okay. Right. With the mirror cracked. Okay. Right. That was the first issue of the of the series. Right, and I don't know what episode or what issue they're on now. I'll have to go back and check. Oh, they've been cranking them out all this time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's all Burns doing lately, huh? Yeah, they're not monthly, but they do <clears throat> come out periodically. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. They're under that Star Trek New Visions, one of the newer issues I thumbed through had number one Margelle Barrett's character. Mm-hmm. She's like an admiral at that at this time. And right. 
all they did is they kind of grayed up her hair a little bit. All right. But uh, but it's still just shots from uh, Menagerie. Okay, but she's not. Did they like like draw in Admiral's bars or something? Or I don't know, I'd on a uniform or something. I'd have to go grab the book and look through it again. Like I said, I just kind of thumbed through it because I haven't really been reading yeah. these. Which is because the fundamental point of this is they've taken footage, photos, from original episodes. Who knows? Maybe they found some old unused footage. I don't know. But I think it's mostly from the episodes. And they've re-edited it together into new stories. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That they were able to find what they needed in existing footage. And I'm sure to some degree, they had to modify the story to kind of fit what they had also. I mean, there was probably there probably had to be some give and take. Right. He, he does uh, – John Byrne does put a little disclaimer at the beginning that says, you know, sometimes uh, the shirts will be a little different because, you know, I am taking it from, you know, several different episodes to um, try to get the look he wanted. But – not, but you know, might not match exactly panel to panel. So right. Well, you got to expect that. He's asking I mean, a little on. leeway there. No, oh, yeah, and you'll but ha- just you thumbing through it. it. I mean, it looks fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> could you imagine that? I mean, it's like uh, if you like to do Sunday morning crosswords or something or puzzles of of some kind. Boy, being able to match your creative writing ability, burn is amazing. Uh, together with the materials you have to work with, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to reading those next week. Yep. Me too. And the first one has, uh, you know, it's a continuation of your favorite episode. Where no man has gone before. Exactly. Strange new worlds. Yeah. So we've got Gary on the cover and that kind of stuff. Mm hmm. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm sorry. I'm just. I don't want to ruin anything for next week, but I just. I just like how Byrne shows up in the, uh, in the second page. Oh, his little ex- explanation. Uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin anything. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll probably cut that out anyways. <laughs> since, since oh come on! <laughs> wow, no. This this is a little. This is a teaser. It's a teaser for the next episode. Okay, so just this week, they dropped the first trailer for the next Star Trek movie. Star Trek Beyond. Beyond, yes. Uh, the the attack of Simon Pegg. So, it's... Um, loud? It's loud. So, <laughs> w- so it, I think that was the same music that they also used in the first movie. Um, I... Wait. Yeah, I think when, when they, little Jimmy slash Johnny Kirk or whatever his name is was driving around in the car. Exactly right, right. So it's it's a frenetic, kinetic pace. What Steve? What's the guy's name? Something Lynn. The, the, uh, yeah, the, the Fast and the Furious guy. Yeah, the, the guy that directed many, not all, but many of the better Fast and Furious uh, movies. So he's directing. There were rumors about them wanting to have something more like more humor, like Guardians of the Galaxy, and more action, you know. And they got Simon Pegg co-writing it, so he's a comedian background, you right. know, uh, as well as doing very well uh, in dramatic stuff. And uh, they got Steve Lynn directing. So, and certainly there's a lot of jokes in the trailer, and there's a lot of action. Right. 
Yeah, no, it, it's uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I, I was a little sad that you didn't get to see Iris Ebaba, is that or however you say his name? A Iris. Yeah, a Iris. Yeah, well, whatever. He's great. He's Luther. He's wonderful. Right, but you, I mean, I guess you—he was the guy in the the lizard skin, but you didn't really. Get I to guess see so. Much. Heavy makeup. Right. So no, it looks good. Um, I mean. I mean, it looks good as far as it's going to be action-packed, that's for sure. Right. But we thought the same thing about the trailers for Wrath of Khan. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Darkness. Into Darkness. Into yeah. Darkness. Right. I wonder why I thought it was Wrath of Khan. That's weird. I don't know. Now, now, mind you, the first two movies had plenty of action and plenty of humor. It was a nice balance, I thought. Um, right. I, I just hope they strike a good balance on this one, too. Although, I got to tell you, it looks like they're blowing up the Enterprise. Yeah, with those little tiny ships. Right. Or whatever that is. Ships or something. It's yeah, just... at first I thought they were tiny little, like, Folian arrow-looking ships just needling through the Enterprise. But now I don't – they could be some sort of missiles, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it does look like there's some intelligence behind them like a swarming kind of uh, attack thing, but right. they look pretty small and there's tons of them. So anyway, so, so it looks, this is where the enterprise a will get its start. I, you know, unless they press the magic reset button that is so famous on next gen, I don't see how they don't get a new ship because they make it look pretty obvious. The enterprise is blown to bits and it looks like the whole crew is on some planet, you know, like maybe, Becoming slave labor or something. Right. Um, right. Like I texted you, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the recent, I think it was three issue story arc. story? Exactly. On ongoing. Right. right. So there's a semi-hot looking alien female. Of course, okay, so Eurydice, she was cute. She kind of looked like a cat woman a little bit, but it was subtle. This woman has got a heavy makeup, but still, you know, nice shape and everything. Right. So... So they're on their own. They don't have the ship, and it's possible slave labor. And there you go. Right. How and, will they get out of this? Right. So my my two biggest things takeaways from that movie um, from the trailer is the whole Scotty thing coming out of the escape pod and jumping out and grabbing onto the ledge and oh yeah fingertips. That's, right. 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 I'm like, oh, boy, you know who wrote this story? <laughs> the guy doing the superhuman stuff. Well, okay, but they, they're they rehashing the same crap they did in the first movie. I mean, in the first movie, Kirk was hanging to certain death like at least four times. Right. So they're used, well, doing that again, but now Scotty's doing it. Whatever. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the borrowing from the first movie because they do the whole beaming thing again. So Kirk's getting beamed up while he's falling, and he no. just – Grabs onto that woman with his his fingers and and that's able to get her transported. And that's able to get her. And then when they materialize on the pad, they still have momentum. Momentum, exactly enough to break the transporter pad, which they did in in the two thousand nine one. Right. (sighs) But yeah, well, and and what does Kirk say? Let's not do this again. Okay, yeah. So you've done it twice. Okay, that's good. That's enough. I agree. Yes, we agree with you, Kirk. <laughs> so let's not do it again. Okay, there you go. Um, but speaking of the reset button, um, there's been talks that they are purposely not 
acknowledging anything from Into Darkness into this movie. Really? Yeah. So they've they've pretty much said that they did not like Into Darkness, so they're not going to acknowledge anything from it. Which is going to be and, hard and, and, to and, acknowledge that. I mean, you're going to have to at least say Pike's dead, or yeah, or or, or not have him pop up, right? Oh, that that would suck. Okay, so first off, let me say that I liked Into Darkness. It was not perfect. It was not as good as the first movie, but I liked it. I it, it had its flaws, but I liked it. And this this crucifixion of movies by the internet and people just piling on is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Right. That's my opinion. Yeah, Star Wars prequels. Yeah, it's it's like another good ex- uh, which just opened. You know, uh, you've seen it. I haven't seen it. The the new Star Wars movie. I completely agree. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying. I, they they people crucify the prequels and yeah, they're not that bad. They're not. No, great, they're not. But they're they're good. I, and I like them, but make a big stink that if they you know make any reference to the prequels in the new movie that they're going to be all upset and and you know I, I, I'm the other camp. I'm like, if it happened, even though it's you know. Whether you like it or not, it's part of before this story is supposed to take place. You, yeah. you would still see some sort of, you know, some sort of evidence of, you know, you see buildings and stuff that are over seventy years old. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, mean, uh, I just hate when people do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just and that it works. That that and there's enough people complaining that Hollywood's like, oh well, we we better not do anything like that. So we'll just uh, pretend like that movie didn't happen. Right. Anyway. But you know what? They never brought back Cyborg, so it's no, it's nothing new. <laughs> right. Cyborg didn't show up in Star Trek Six, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> Although I like Larry Luckenbill, and I thought he was fine. Yeah, but, I didn't. I didn't dislike him, but yeah, there were other things I liked Gene less. Roddenberry said that that one didn't happen. Ah! <laughs> oh, that's funny. He did. I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. Uh, I okay. read I read an article that said that he he said that that was not part of the Star Trek canon, and I'm like, you can't do that. No, you can't do. You that. You released it. You put it out there. It's part of the canon. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. All right. Well, we got some comic books to read, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.